0: in In this particular chapter there's, it's a shift in the book because it's uh, you have these groupings of proverbs, essentially, that have been written out, and they it's fascinating that they're in here in Ecclesiastes rather than in the book of Proverbs, but um, he starts giving us these contrast and scenario type of descriptions of things for us to start to consider and, and to, to give greater thought to what has been written and to realize that, that these things are not on the surface. It's a very different form of literature, right? It's a very different form of literature than, let's say, Torah. Torah is basically do this, don't do that, right? Actually, a lot of, I believe a lot of Paul's writings resemble that as well. Um, Matthew Mark Luke or narrative John is a narrative but he's he's telling a, a little bit of a different story um which I find the more I think about John uh the more I'm fascinated by it because it was the last gospel written um probably not the last book but it there's debate about that about whether that was the last book that John wrote um for a lot, th- th- actually, I would you'd either get very intrigued or very bored with the amount of debate there is about the authorship of John, 1st and 2nd John, and 3rd John, and the book of Revelation. Um, so, anyway. Um, but John was, I'm pretty convinced, John was the last gospel written. And for that reason, he wrote it from a completely different perspective. And what we have here tonight really ties in to what we looked at on Sunday morning where a man can receive nothing unless it be given him by God. It's the same idea here. And this this idea of, of, of God's sovereignty that um, God declares and then so often it is that we want to... A, 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 expand upon that declaration. there's really I don't think there's anything wrong with that but I but I think that there's also a, um, a danger in that because I as much as the gospel, the Bible all throughout the Bible declares God's sovereignty, uh, the Bible also declares man's free will. Now, we're going to get into some interesting passages later on in the book of John um, regarding uh, that truth and particularly about the idea of God calling an individual. And, um, and so it's, it's hard to reconcile these biblical truths. And I, the farther I go, the more I, I think it's important not to and just let him sit and and allow you know so when i when i'm in passages that that talk very heavily like this one does of god's sovereignty we want to we want to sit on that and we want to maybe even expand our understanding of god's sovereignty but when we're looking at passages that declare free will john 316 for whosoever and people tell me, I've had people tell me that the whosoever is the elect. Doesn't say that, okay? They, 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 I've, I've heard some actually fairly decent arguments. But John doesn't say that. So, you know, within the context of that conversation with Nicodemus, um, God so loved the elect world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoso, that the whosoever who is elect, and that's, that's how they frame it. That, but that's not what John says. Um, so, be, be, again, I believe that God has called us to live in the tension. And a lot of people don't like that. Um, I don't like it as a teacher because I can't resolve it. And I'm always having that thought. Um, people leave me going. I don't know. You think that guy really even knows what he's even talking about, you know? And so, but uh, you know, I I want to try to stay true to the passage. While we go through these things, um, so picking up in verse eleven, because we're we're getting this contrast here between wisdom and wealth. Now just for fun, if you want to throw in, if you had a choice between wisdom or wealth, what would you choose and why? (laughs) Maybe nobody wants to answer that question. Ken, your wisdom. Why, Ken? Okay. I worked for... You can. Is wisdom smartness? You're right, yeah. Because I've known people with really high IQs, and they don't seem very wise to me. You know? Um, well, hold, hold, hold. just hold, no, hold, no, don't don't. I want to get right back to that. Did you hear what he said? Okay. I even forgot already. Is is wisdom closer to discernment? This reminds me of something you were asking about, Pat, a long time ago in this book. Because I'm I'm going to jump around and jump ahead, but try to stay with me. I'll try to stay with me. Um, Verse 12, so I don't have to jump around too much. For wisdom is a defense as money is a defense. Okay, we'll get into that in a second. Knowledge is that wisdom that gives life to those who have it. Remember how you asked the difference between wisdom and knowledge? And so here you have this idea, knowledge is that wisdom. No? Uh, yes. Uh, the whole the whole verse? Uh, for wisdom is a defense as money is a defense. But the excellence of knowledge is that wisdom gives life to those who have it. That's verse 12. Of, uh, that's the next verse of where we're at. Ecclesiastes 7. You, had to, you didn't turn the page. Yeah, it's just the next Verse. Okay, yeah, we're yeah, we're in seven twelve. Yeah, okay. All right. So everybody with us? Okay. So it's it's because I thought about this because knowledge let's go back to this idea of discernment. Can knowledge be void or devoid of discernment and wisdom? Does everything you know require you to be wise? Think about that again, though I've done it a million times, whatever it is doesn't matter, right that's working, knowledge. that's working knowledge but some yeah but sometimes there there's that 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 x factor right that that doesn't always happen, right I mean a classic example is. Well, I'm, I'm still convinced that people come in and play with the soundboard, right? And, uh, but, yeah, they come in. Uh, but there's, you have changes of humidity that affect the sound waves. And um, I think discernment is a good way to describe wisdom. Because what I, what I had to find out... Um, I don't know bill if this was your experience or not because we we studied two very varied... bill and I have the same bachelor program we actually came out of um but you went into autoCAd for a ma- in teaching as a master's right well, no, a vocational education okay My yeah. okay so So it's more of a technical degree with with a, like seminary, when you have because I've got, okay, theological studies. So in the in undergraduate bachelor's degree, it was all you had to learn all the theologies. It was, it was a lot to wade through, and I had to read books like this that, and 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 at times, in the books that were this thick. I probably agreed with that much. But it was intended to broaden your understanding of theology proper. See, a lot of Bible colleges, those are just, they basically just teach you their doctrine. There's nothing wrong with that. That's just, but that's what they intend to do, particularly in, in the associates level. Um, so I'm learning theology Um, But I have to learn all this stuff that, quite frankly, I probably have forgotten more than I remember. But then when you go into graduate school, God help you if you don't remember that stuff because you're going to have to engage with it and write about it and critique it and defend it. So in other words, graduate school is hopefully helping you to develop some discernment, some wisdom, some something. Whereas in most bachelor's degree programs, it's you said it's kind of facts and figures, and they're teaching you the how-to process of what to do with certain things. Now, that's that's not always with every vocational discipline, but but that is kind of the case in 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 Bible schools um, and seminaries. So um, so I had to work with a lot of things and and. I mean, I I wrote. I remember in writing papers, I knew that my professor was going to disagree with theologically, but and I just defended it. I got an A. Um, I wrote a dissertation that I knew was going to make some people really mad, and some of that had to end up on the cutting room floor. Well. I had a professor from SIU who would have, would have agreed with that, and I can't tell you since, well, I don't want to, of what he wrote on my paper when I spit back the party line of, and he says, he says, I used to believe that, but now I say, bovine. And he wrote it on my paper. Anyway, <laughs> I thought, wow, I've got to think about what he's talking about. So wisdom, I think, is the proper apprehension and application of knowledge. Using your knowledge for good. Yeah, because there's a lot of people who know things. I mean, in World War II, Germany had some of the best scientists out there. And look what they did. You know, and... and, you know, then they had to learn Spanish, and and flee to Argentina. You know, or they jump ship and be you know join the Allied forces. Um. So wisdom is good with an inheritance. So, it, and then when you think of inheritance, what do you normally consider? Receive. Receiving like the car, the house, the bank account. You know. So normally there's 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 something attached to it. Uh, what? Property. property, yeah. Yeah, and so it, it's material. Wisdom is good with an inheritance. So notice it's good with an inheritance. In other words, what are you going to do with that money? What are you going to do with that um, inheritance, that property, those cars, those boats, whatever, right? And it's it's good with an inheritance, and it's profitable to those who see the sun. Uh, for wisdom is a defense as money is a defense. What do you think about that? Now, Ken, you said you'd rather have wisdom than money, and Brian said, if I have wisdom, I can make more money, which is, I think that's true. That may not be the, you know, your, your goal, but I think what you said is true. So what do you think of verse 12? Wisdom is a defense as money is a defense. Yeah, I think it, I think it's a good description. I worked for a man. Uh, he owned five health clubs in Sacramento, um, so he was obviously doing quite well. And his saying that he used to say to my boss all the time was: "There isn't, there isn't enough. There is always enough or more money." throw at a problem to finally make it go away the opposite of frugality right but that's that's what he, now he was very frugal actually but that was his thought about if there's a problem just throw money at it yeah Right, it's making a contrast. He says wisdom is the defense as money is a defense, right? So what's interesting that you caught that because there is some of the views and, and some of what we're going to look at when we get around verse 15, 16, 17, and 18 is this he, he's setting up kind of a straw man that he knocks down. Uh, and, he, and, and as if he's pitting two, two ideas against each other. Uh, hopefully we'll get to that tonight. Um, but he does say that in 12, but the excellence, now that word excellence is interesting because in just about every other translation, it doesn't say excellence. Verse 12, back half of verse 12. That's your in your margin? Yeah. Okay. And I, and I think the ESV, the Christian Standard, and the NIV all say advantage. Uh, and and is probably, advantage or profit is probably a better translation. Why they went with excellence, I have no idea. Um, Proverbs 3, because it's interesting, and... and the, the problem with doing this study, we, all these Proverbs that I've been reading over and over and over again, they all kind of came to my mind like all at once, and I couldn't remember where any of them were, so I had to kind of start digging around. And, 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 but Proverbs 3, um, actually 3, 13 and following, if you want to turn there. Proverbs 3.13. I went to Proverbs 13.3. Uh-oh. I guess I shouldn't have stained that window today <laughs> or a sliding door. Uh, happy is the man who finds wisdom, 3.13, and the man who gains understanding. For her, who's the her here? Because Solomon personifies wisdom as a woman. He did it earlier in, this, in, in, in the Proverbs. For her proceeds are better than the profits of silver. So there you go, Ken. So Solomon agreed with you. How's that? <laughs> her proceeds are um, better than the profits of silver and her gain than fine gold. She is more precious than rubies, and all the things you may desire cannot compare with her. Length of days is in her right hand, and in her left hand, riches and honors. So there you go, Brian. Okay? But that may not be talking materially. Right? Um, or if you're, well, yeah, as I am. Um Her ways are the ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. So this idea of peace and pleasantness, um, particularly peace, is what, what? One of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. And she is a tree of life. Now, when you read that, or when you hear me read that, or you look at it yourself, what comes to mind? She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her. The Lord. Anybody else, when you read tree of life? it's What you see in the book of Revelation, but we also see on earth in the book of Genesis. And what does the tree of life represent besides eternal life and the Lord, salvation? In other words, God's ultimate plan for humanity. But Solomon here is tying that into what? Wisdom. How do I say this and say it nicely? Can I I say it? Not so nice, Ken. Are you okay with that? I won't swear or anything, but I'm kidding you. But uh, in other words, God wants his people to be wise. He doesn't want his people to be foolish and stupid. But it's funny because in 1 Corinthians, it says there is not many wise And, and goes on, you know, not many wise, not really, almost saying there's not many who are smart, even. Um, but Paul could be comparing things to wisdom and smartness of the world, as opposed to wisdom and smartness of the things of God. And I... I It came to mind, and I should have written it down because I looked at it earlier, but in the book of Luke, you have the story of the, remember the man who was found out, who was he'd been cheating his boss, essentially, and he found out that his boss had found out about him and he knew he was going to get canned and get kicked out and get basically put on the street. So he goes to the, I think, two or three people who owed his boss money and he reduced their bill, and it said that his boss marveled at his shrewdness. And Jesus said that the, the people of this world are, are more shrewd than those of the kingdom. Which is really a, it's a paradoxical type of uh, uh, parable that Jesus gives us in the, in the book of Luke. And it's like, why are, we, you, know, why are you giving this example of, of shrewdness or wisdom? And I thought it was like, well, it's, it fascinated me because it, it also, it, it answers, it, well, it, it brings in more questions than I even have answers to, but one of them is, is there such a thing as ungodly wisdom? Ungodly wisdom. Remember we talked about that? Yeah. And, and there, there could be. But the thing is, the thing is, if James is true, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights of which there is no variance or shadow of turning. Now, James 1, I think that's true. And the problem is, is that we can take a gift, every good and perfect gift comes from whom? The Father of lights, right? We can take that gift and we can be bad stewards of it. Remember we talked about stewardship quite a bit when we were talking about this before. So, let me finish up Proverbs, and we'll get back into Ecclesiastes. Um, and happy are all who retain her. Then we're done. Okay, so I forgot to read that part, last part of 18. Happy are all who retain her. Who's the her again? Wisdom. So, again, he finishes off. He still agrees with you, Ken. So, anyway. Um, Verse 14, Ecclesiastes 7. Now, this is where the the ice gets thin. In the day of prosperity, be joyful. In saying here, whether you are in a day of prosperity, and if you are, enjoy it, right? Be joyful. Diversity, consider. That word consider is something that we need to consider back in 13 that I forgot to touch on. It essentially means consider what God does, see what God does, evaluate what God does, discern what God does, and come to its proper conclusions. So in other words, consider it long enough to where you gain understanding. And in gaining understanding, you gain two things. This is a curveball, a little bit. You gain two things when you gain understanding. Knowledge and wisdom. That's what he's saying here. But he's saying that God has appointed the one as well as the other. Does that? Does not to me? I lean free will, but that's okay. Larry. Can you learn in prosperity? (laughs) Some. I mean, that's true. That's why I'm laughing because it's like. Yes, we do, and and even earlier in this chapter, it's it's touching on that, Um, and I wish it was not the case. Recognize that God is in charge; it will be a means to give you wisdom. I think it's uh, reciprocal. The Book of Job talks about this in Job one. Job Okay, Remember the story with Job, right? Job acts like a priest to his family. He offers sacrifices. This is chapter 1. I'm just giving you a quick overview. Because he says, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. And so Job did a morning and evening, or a morning, excuse me, just a morning offering. He got up early, uh, so he wasn't a musician. And he offered burnt offerings for his whole family. And then there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came before them, or came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? And Satan answered, answered the Lord and says, from going to and fro on the earth, from walking back and forth on it. And the Lord says to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and shuns evil. So Satan answered the Lord and said, "Do does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? He has blessed, you have blessed the work of his hands. There's there's your your uh, um prosperity. You have blessed the work of his hands." And his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. And so the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power, and do not lay a hand on his person. Satan leaves, and he does a number. You know the story, right? He does a number on Job. Um, so Satan is accusing God... Are accusing Job of only being a worshiper of God because of the prosperity that he's experiencing. And so he takes basically everything from him. Skip down to verse 21 of chapter 1. Uh, It says, Job said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave. The Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. So he uh, recognizes that God is at work. To me, it's an interest. And I mean, I read some things about this that I didn't agree with, and I'm almost hesitant—not I'm hesitating whether or debating whether I should even share them with you or not. Uh, because how Satan talks about um, in chapter 2 where he says to God, stretch out your hand now and touch his bone and flesh, and he will surely curse you to your face. And so Satan is allowed to do that, but... Satan is the one that suggests that God stretches out his hand, and one commentator wanted to make the correlation that then <clears throat> Satan is, in, is doing the work of God or the hands of God in doing this. And then I think that's a bit of a stretch, but did not God permit him to do it? And it's in the text. Did did God say, do what you want with him, but don't kill him? Essentially. Um, and, And so, that does not make God the agent of evil. Or does it? And if not, and I would say it doesn't, I don't, I, and that's a that's a a million dollar statement clay that i don't even know if we have time to unpack because could have God done it? He had the capacity the, the but, but is or is it even against his nature, which may or may not be true but when you consider eternal judgment for those who reject christ so but this is someone whom Was in the household of faith. Is in the household of faith. And he is one according to 1 Thessalonians. I think it's 5. Or maybe it's. 2 Thessalonians 2. We're not appointed to wrath. So it couldn't have been God's wrath. But even. But I don't see the wrath of God in this. At all. Period. But it's as if God stepped back and allowed Satan to have his way with Job. Um, said he had faith in him. There's there's always the foreknowledge problem that always trips this up. You know, important thing to remember that God knows, but Satan doesn't. Satan's not uh, omnipotent, all-knowing. Satan is not omnipotent. He is not a creator. He is a created being. He does not have the same attributes as God. Yeah, and so God does permit. God does allow. And I could even make a case that although God already knew what Satan was going to do, he allowed Satan to have free will. With limitations. So let's sort of. So what I want to do though, let's back this up just a touch and get away from the flood, get away from Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, I think Job is applicable because to our passage in Ecclesiastes, uh, because he he's writing to people of the household of faith, I believe Ecclesiastes. All right. Um, I think the Jews understood that. That's why it became part of the Hebrew canon. And and so he does tell us that adversity. I, I think adversity implies right, but I don't. I, right, I don't. I don't think that dualistically. But um, but because I can't think of any adversity that I've ever enjoyed, invited, welcomed. Couldn't wait for the next one to come, you know. Um, and um, I've actually met people that if they're not in adversity, they're not happy. But I know that's not, <laughs> that's not who you are. But somebody said it, a contest between, implying, a contest between God and Satan. Yes, to a degree, but I think the real reason why all this happened was it was he becomes an incredible case job becomes an incredible case study for why we experience the things that we experience and models for us how we should respond and gives us some incredible arguments by four people who really don't know what they're talking about that are, it's, now it's scripture, is all scripture is God breathed, okay? We get these arguments that are poor theological arguments, poor doctrinal arguments uh, that people gravitate toward all the time and and the book of Job is there to help us stay clear of some of that thinking, so I think there there's that uh, going on with it as well. Um, Because the thing is, yeah, you can go to the end of the book, but what about Paul? What's the end of his book? It's not recorded in Scripture. He gets his head cut off. His thorn in the flesh is never removed from him. Now, he's told why. The reality is, though, Job is never told why. And so you have to think, and and I'm reading into this. Okay, I'm going to admit to you, okay, so (laughs) I want to be fair. But I'd have to think that when Job thought about all those kids that he lost, all those servants that he lost, that even though he got twice as much, if you will, which could also be very metaphoric, although it's probably an actual event, right? But I think it's metaphoric as well. Don't you think his heart still ached for those kids? And if not, what's wrong with Job? So it, it's, and I almost want to say, so what That he got twice as much? You know, he lost his firstborn. That's just my impression of it, um, he didn't get rid of his wife, you know. So, I mean, he still had her. And and what was going on with, I mean, I think there's more to the story that sometimes than the Bible desires, than the Lord desires for us to know, right? But I also think sometimes these things are an invitation for us to give greater thought to. And I I the worst conversations I've ever had is when I talk to people who've lost their kids. It, it, even years ago, you know, and, and, and to have kids afterwards. And yes, to love those kids that they have and, and, and all of that, but there's, there's still that heartache. It never goes away. So, um, Well, we can't because we're out of time. No, but I think I, I think that these are, I think this is part of why this, these, uh, this book was written for us to really to wrestle with, and to really give greater thought. I talked about this, um, I don't know, four, three, four weeks ago or so, that that I see this as, as really an invitation to really wrestle through. The, a lot of the difficulties of life, and by the way, job was part of my dissertation, so that's part of um yeah but i did i i compared job with paul and and uh again paul i mean Paul was so driven and and we have to think personality types I think at times too Paul was so driven i't I, it makes me wonder if anything phased him but Luke, who wrote Acts, leaves out a lot of the emotional, personal aspect and is simply reporting like a newspaper reporter would in the account of Paul, particularly after he was arrested and then eventually found his way to Rome, so...